to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity management, resilience, crisis management, emergency response, disaster planning, and anything that can touch those realms. Uh, I'd like to remind everyone, if there is a subject you would like us to talk about or a guest you'd like us to have on the show, please feel free, go to the Voice America uh, Preparing for the Unexpected page, uh, Underneath the graphic, there is a button. Uh, send, send an email uh, to the host or a host email, something along that lines. Um, and you can uh, you know, send me an email. I do read and respond to everything I get. And we'll uh, see if we can get you on the show to talk about your topic or find someone else to come on the show and talk about your topic. Uh, I'll also be at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference uh, once again this year in Toronto, May 29th and 30th. If it's anything like last year, it's promising to be another great conference. And speaking of that conference, the one that I attended earlier this year in May, um, they had a lot of great speakers. And if you've been listening to enough shows, you know that uh, every so often we've got one of those speakers on the show. Today is one of those days. We're going to be talking about supply chain management resilience. And I'd like to welcome uh, to the show, Mr. Tom Shebrick. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, Alex. My pleasure. You did a, a great speech at the CRT conference last year, um, so I wanted to make sure we got you on the show, you know, because you had a lot of great ideas. Um, but before we get uh, started into that subject of, uh, you know, supply chain, um, can you tell us a bit about yourself? You know, how how you got to where you are, and you know, how you got into business continuity, disaster planning, etc., and you know what you do. Yeah, great. Uh, well, thanks uh, first and foremost for having me on on the show. I'm excited to be here. Uh, those that know me uh, know that I love to talk about this stuff. So hopefully we can cram enough information into our our session this morning. Uh, but a little <laughs> bit about me. Uh, so my name is Tom Shebrek. I I uh, live and work in the Greater Toronto Area in Ontario, Canada. Uh, I've been working in the field of I guess resiliency, uh, whether that be disaster recovery, business continuity, crisis management, or risk management. Uh, for about 20 years. Um, started my career in the um, uh, financial uh, services industry, uh, Sun Life Financial. And uh, like many people that, that get involved in these disciplines, it, it kind of happens by accident. Uh, and in my case, I'd been doing some work in service delivery for IT systems for Sun Life and um, got involved in a handful of projects more related to disaster recovery of their, their IT systems applications and, and data. Uh, and in around the, the Y2K timeframe, uh, there were some projects to make sure that business requirements were being met uh, and tied to the business continuity program. So I got involved in, in those leading up to Y2K, so 98, 99. And... Um, 
the rest is sort of history. Uh, from there, I really took it, I'd taken a liking to the BCP methodology and just thinking about the stuff that most people don't uh, think about or like to think about. Um, and I uh, really, really enjoyed some of the strategic planning that was involved in all of that. Um, and so I, I honed in my skills at, at Sun Life. I'd worked with them for a number of years. Um, and uh, in around 2004, 2005, uh, a rim was really taking off in the Kitchener-Waterloo area. Uh, so I had an opportunity to go over to, to RIM, uh, the organization that was making blackberries at the time, and uh, spend a number of years there uh, looking over their corporate operations, which include their data centers, uh, manufacturing facilities, and as you can imagine, a lot of supply chain type work uh, associated with that. Uh, from there, um, was recruited by Walmart uh, about 2012, uh, which is where I got into retail. Uh, retail really provides some interesting insights in, in terms of um, supply chain resiliency. So we'll get into some of that in a few minutes. I uh, spent a few years over at Walmart uh, and then joined Canadian Tire, uh, I guess about uh, two and a half years ago. I've been here ever since and I'm currently heading up their business continuity crisis management and operational risk programs. Oh, great. Lots of uh, uh, history there. And it's interesting, uh, again, another person who fell into it by accident. You know, Absolutely. It's amazing how many people, and you mentioned Y2K, and I find a lot of people that fell into it by accident um, seem to fall into it some either just before it or just after Y2K. So it's interesting how you uh, tracked your, your start right back to it. Yeah, I agree. There's lots of us out there, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I, that's when I uh, started, actually. For okay, well, the, so, great. <laughs> um, so your your topic in uh, the CRT conference was about su- supply chain resiliency, and you kind of alluded to it um, in your uh, opening uh, here. So can you explain to all of our listeners around the globe, what is that? Yeah, well, it's going to be different things to different people. So, you know, today is more sort of my opinion or my experience and, and you know, take it for what it's worth. And I suppose if uh, if anybody wants to contact me following uh, listening to this and, and they want to debate or argue or have a discussion on it, I, I'm certainly happy <laughs> to do so. And, and Alex, you can you can share my information if you'd like. Sure. Um, so uh, I will preface, uh, you know, the, the discussion that we're having this morning. I'm going to try to focus more on the retail side of things for the most part, because uh, I think there's a, a breadth of examples and some good practices that, uh, that retailers do in, in this space that folks could potentially learn from. Um, so uh, what is supply chain uh, management resilience and, and where does it stem from? Uh, and I guess the way that I look at it, it sort of stems from uh, the, the four, there's four aspects, uh, I suppose. Um, one is their day-to-day operations and how robust and strong those day-to-day operations are in, in terms of, uh, you know, how they manage uh, the coming and going and the logistics of everything um, on a daily basis, uh, how that flows into crisis response and crisis management. Um, the more proactive piece with the business continuity planning, uh, and then also the proactive aspect of, of risk management and making sure that uh, they understand their risks and are trying to mitigate those. Uh, so the reason I start with day-to-day operations 
um, folks involved in logistics planning uh, deal with hiccups and, and challenges on a daily basis, uh, whether there's a road closure somewhere due to a, an accident or some other cause, uh, there's the need to, to reroute. Uh, if there's scheduling delays um, because of product not being available, for example, uh, they, they need to you know, be agile and, and be able to pivot and, and move in different directions. So they're a really, really good case study or an example of, of firefighters uh, on a daily basis. They need to, to really uh, dive in, I guess, and, and be good problem managers and, and get through those problems to make sure that the product's moving where it needs to be going in a timely manner. Uh, and that also makes them really, really great at crisis management response. Um, so I, I think so, those two so? go hand in I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know, how does that make them... Um, having all that logistics, how does that make them uh, stronger or better or you know, helps them focus on crisis management? How so? Yeah, I think it's, it's that, those problem management skills and, and those attributes, right? The, the daily firefighting, uh, they tend to be more calm, cool, and, and collected when it comes to crisis or incident response uh, because they're used to putting out the fires on a, a regular basis. Um, you know, I find it interesting when we, we deal with something on a larger scale, and thankfully in Canada, a lot of our response uh, is in support of communities, and we haven't had a lot of things directly impact any of our stores or, or distribution centers on a major scale. Um, but uh, it's, you know, the leadership, they tend to get quite excitable, and, and uh, the supply chain folks that are working on getting donations and product out to the communities that need us, um, you know, are the most level-headed at times. Hmm, that would that would kind of make sense, but is is it like very stressful? Because you mentioned, you know, we're going to be talking about retail. So retail, and you know, for anyone out there, um, Canadian Tire, the the place you you referenced, that's almost an institution here in Canada. Every town has a Canadian Tire, you know, hardware and all all kinds of things. So you've you know, it, it's like a department store. So you've got to have hundreds of suppliers that that's got to be difficult to to manage under a crisis situation absolutely and and uh, you know if we we switch sort of uh veins in terms of, you know, what is supply chain resilience and, and then I guess what would the, the risk factors be that um, could knock that off kilter. Uh, third party risk is, you know, by far the top of the heap. Um, so when, when you think of the, the number of vendors that we would be dependent upon, if we use Canadian Tire as the example, uh, just from a day-to-day business operations standpoint and getting product from you know, a, a distribution center to a store or somewhere else. Uh, there's, you know, dozens, if not hundreds. Um, but when you look more broadly at the, the supply chain uh, continuum, and uh, there's a lot of product that comes in from overseas, uh, a lot of private label brand products and, and other imports that are coming in. Uh, that represents thousands of of uh, vendors and third parties that are involved in the mm-hmm. mix. So the complexity is is massive. Um, so there's, you know, obviously the potential for things to go wrong in that chain. Uh, the key is to have an understanding of where the most critical links are, uh, to understand the, the risks that could be associated with some of those links, uh, and obviously developing partnerships um, or exploring those relationships to make sure that, that they're sound and, and we understand who's doing what, when and how, uh, and having an understanding of that. Uh, and then also, you know, trying to forecast from a risk management standpoint, uh, what could go wrong or, or what are the risks and how do we mitigate those risks? So I, I see, 
you know, the business continuity, crisis management, uh, operational risk, all of those things working together, I suppose, to um, ensure that uh, we, we've got a, a good response strategy queued up and, and lined up in the event that we, we do have something, you know, go sour uh, with a third party. So it could be, you know, a fault of uh, or the effects of something happening to them and not even happening directly to us. Well, I'm glad you you said that because I was just about to ask you, are you, do you look at the risk to the vendor or the risk of getting the vendor's product to you and all the, the path that it takes or both? Yeah, it's a great question. It has to be both. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, obviously the the relationship has to be there first. We've got to have those, those contacts between us. But uh, um, when you think of... of the way that supply chains operate in, in this day and age, um, it's very much an on-demand inventory that, that retailers and organizations are carrying. So uh, delivery timeframes are tight. Uh, the amount that organizations are trying to store in their warehouses uh, is limited. Um, and, and so, you know, a, a bump along the way with one particular vendor could create a downstream effect. So the, the timeliness is really, really important, especially uh, as you get into this time of year. Um, so we've got uh, cyber weekend coming up a couple weeks in November, which would be Black Friday, Cyber Monday, uh, and then mm. obviously the, the Christmas holiday push. Um, so all of those, you know, the product that uh, we're looking to sell needs to be sort of in flow and, and uh, in the stores and, and uh, when we're replenishing that it's, it's getting there in a timely manner. So it, it's definitely understanding our relationship with those vendors, uh, making sure that they've got contingency plans should something happen to them, that they're able to provide us with you know, the service that we're expecting from them. Well, it's interesting. You said, uh, you know, with the, the timeframes that are coming up over the next few weeks um, and I guess two months today, no, just yeah. shy of two months. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, Scary thought. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if there is a delay, do is part of the, the identification risk to a supplier is to identify an alternate. Like if something pops up and just say, okay, ABC can't, um, Deliver so automatically we go to you know DEF. Is it, do you do that kind of a thing, or is it you know we we order more every so often depending on timeframes coming up? You know how do you manage that? Yeah, it's it's difficult. You can imagine if we're talking about thousands of vendors, so to do that for each and every vendor, um, near impossible, right? It would just it would be a mm. twenty year journey if not longer. Um, but we we try to triage and, and uh, uh, get an understanding of who our most critical vendors are and why, and, and that can change in time, right? So uh, mm-hmm. right now there may be some some other vendors that we would consider more critical because of the the product that we're looking to flow than than other times of the year, um, but we certainly. Uh, prioritize um, that work and, and making sure that uh, uh, we do have a plan B and in some cases a plan C. Uh, so the Canada post-strike that we're experiencing at the moment um, does have implications on some of our deliver-to-home strategies in some areas of the country. Uh, thankfully, right now we're in a rolling strike position, which doesn't uh, um, impede us from delivering uh, products where we do rely on Canada Post, uh, but we do have a plan B and a plan C to support that. Uh, but there's logistical changes and, and things that we have to adjust, I guess, with our day-to-day business to make sure that we're, uh, we're plugging into the appropriate vendor at the appropriate time. And, and I guess, you know, because you mentioned, you know, the holidays, you, as you're dealing with the vendors, you kind of know that, well, we're going to be busy, so you plan for that as well. 
You don't just keep uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's not the same plan in the summertime. The, as the great is, thing about yeah. retail, I suppose, is uh, you're you're typically planning a season ahead. Um, so uh, uh, even though you go into a lot of stores, there's still the the Halloween candy and decorations and costumes. Um, this week, you'll see all the stores transitioning to Christmas, right? So for the seasonal <laughs> type of uh, products, uh, you know, we tend to be quite ahead of schedule. Um, but the complexity with uh, with some of that is a lot of those products. Um, are coming to us from overseas. Um, so, you know, there's a uh, two to three month um, journey that those products are taking uh, coming from, uh, you know, factories and, and vendors um, in Asia Pacific uh, and making their way over to Canada in a timely manner. So the the planning uh, for some of the, uh, the different seasonal products is actually happening 12 months in advance. Uh, and certainly the, the the delivery and the flow of those products uh, several months in advance of of the season that uh, um, you know that they they're um, aligned to I guess right so Christmas uh, things are typically moving and and going out to distribution centers uh, in the summer. So that's why I was seeing Christmas decorations at the beginning of October in some stores. <laughs> you got you got it, and if it's there and it's available, and they have the potential to sell it, you know that's why you're seeing it on the store shelves. Yeah, that's true. Well, we've come to the end of the our first segment. We're talking with Tom Shebrick about supply chain management resiliency, and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's info at stone-road.com. 
Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We're talking with Tom Shepard today uh, about supply chain management resiliency. Uh, Tom, you gave us some great information in our first segment, and I know it's going to continue on. And I'm going to start with a question of how should uh, organizations, you know, business continuity or disaster programs, whatever they call it, uh, work with suppliers? You know, what are the, the positives of working together? What are some of the consequences of not working together? And I've got another question for you afterwards as well. But um, how about uh, the first part there? Yeah, sounds good. So I guess overall, I would say that the the relationship has to be collaborative. And uh, obviously, with uh, as we're setting up a vendor, there's a collaboration uh, from a retail perspective. You know, with uh, with the merchant groups that are responsible for the products and the, those vendors uh, in that particular relationship. Uh, but there has to be collaboration with the business um, and risk management and, and business continuity. So I think that's the starting point. Um, positive results and consequences. I'll break those up separately, I guess, and we'll focus on the positive first. Um, sure. I, I think the positive is if the, you know, from a risk perspective or a business continuity planning perspective, uh, the professionals in that space can instill um, just some fundamental thinking of, of, you know, worrying about some of the what ifs as the the business in this case, uh, I made reference to the merchants, uh, are, are concerned about the vendors and the delivery of some of those products or, or services. Um, so I think establishing a good relationship is important, A. Now, those people that are establishing the relationships, they're not necessarily the same people that uh, we would be in contact with in the event that something bad happens, either on our side or if something happened with the vendor. So having a really good understanding of the who's who. Um, so the you know the the merchant person working with the, the salesperson from the vendor company um, is is one aspect of it. But when something goes wrong and, and we're dealing with the day to day operations, making sure that we've got those connection points. Um, so I think uh, you know the key message there is establishing stronger relationships between uh, between your organization and, and the third party. Um, Testing of those vendors where possible, I think, is really important. Uh, I would recommend at minimum uh, like a call tree test just to make sure that the who's who uh, links are being made and the appropriate people are able to be in contact with one another. Um, mm-hmm. I, one interesting thing for me, I think, are, are contracts. Uh, and a positive on the contract is if you've got a risk view or a business continuity view um, of those contracts to make sure that there's some language in there to protect the business uh, if that particular vendor is faced with a business disruption themselves uh, and what um, practices they have in place to make sure that they're upholding their end of the contract and can provide your organization with the services that, that you're contracting with them for. Um, and a really good way of doing that, I guess, is is through testing. Um, and if you can test on a level, and I, it really will depend on the, the nature of the relationship, I suppose, but I, I think the importance of third-party testing is becoming very, very important. With, thir- with third-party testing, what level should you go to? I know you mentioned call trees, but in, in retail, you know, you, you mentioned that sometimes you've got some really big partners. So, you know, you've got system integration, you know, all kinds of things. So, you know, they've got expectations of you, you've got expectations of them. How far can you go or should you go with, you know, testing the, you know, the, the whole supply chain, you know, with their level of readiness to compare to yours? 
Yeah, it's it's really good. I think there's different ways that you can approach that. And um, like I said, it really depends on the relationship. So I think when we're talking about systems, um, that is a really, really important one. And I, I, I would suggest or expect that uh, most organizations are doing well on, on the technology side of those relationships. Um, so whether that's participating in the vendor's um, uh, DR, disaster recovery exercises or tests, uh, to make sure that the, the systems are up and running and, and you can access your data or push your feedback through that particular vendor, um, that, that you can, you know, put the check in the box on some of those items. Um, with other vendors, uh, something that I've seen that's worked really, really well um, is, is doing... Um, uh, like a questionnaire-based approach, I suppose, so like a vendor assessment questionnaire, uh, something that allows you to dig a little bit deeper and get a perhaps a better understanding of um, their crisis management and business continuity programs. Um, you know, so asking questions like, well, do you have a business continuity program? Do you know who you're going to contact from my organization in the event that something bad does happen? Um, do you have an alternate site location yourself that, uh, you know, you would off, uh, uh, move over to uh, in the event that you were faced with a disruption? Uh, so just an opportunity to ask some additional questions to give you some level of comfort or not um, that the vendor mm-hmm. is able to, uh, to provide those services. Uh, I find that those questionnaires tend to work really, really well um, before the relationship is established, obviously. Uh, it helps give some insight as to whether they're the appropriate vendor for what it is that you're looking to do. Well, yeah, I, I remember working at a company. We had uh, we called it a client briefing document, and it had to do with our disaster recovery, IT disaster recovery, and our business continuity readiness. And it was just two, three pages. It didn't get into the, all the details or give any um, sensitive information away, but at least answered some of those points that you just had. Yes, we have an alternate site. Yes, we have points of contact or whatever the case may be. You know, and, and I guess to your point, you know, if you get one of those assessments back and it doesn't look too good, you may not want to do business with them. You got it. Uh, or perhaps you put some stipulations in, in the contract just to, to try to protect your business, right? Whether that be uh, penalties for late shipments or, or something like that, something to safeguard the, your organization's best interest. So let's look on the other side. Let's say we don't re- really work closely with our suppliers. What are the consequences of not maintaining a strong supply chain management resiliency program? Yeah. Well, in the simplest form, and it's sort of obvious, I guess, right, is their crisis becomes your crisis. Uh, so depending mm-hmm. on how critical that vendor is to uh, your supply chain network and, and where they fit into the mix, um, it, it could really become a, a big uh, problematic uh, event uh, that occurs with them that, that has a, a downstream effect on you. Um, I, I know that I talked a little bit about the who's who, but I think the, the importance of that who's who and establishing those stronger relationships on the positive side, if you don't, uh, could have really negative consequences. Um, so if that's a vendor that provides product or services to a lot of other clients, uh, those other clients have, you know, arguably a better um, relationship than you do, uh, you might be the last to know, uh, or you may not get that preferential service that you're hoping for uh, in the event that something happens because somebody's ahead of you in the in the mix. Uh, and I think really having the contract details laid out. So, um, you know, if there's nothing in there that um, 
prompts or, or holds the vendor accountable to making sure that uh, they're providing the service to you, um, it, it becomes sort of a big so what. Um, so, you know, it, it may take them a week to get back and, and provide you with the service that you're looking for them to provide. Um, but if you need them back within two days, uh, what are you doing in that delta of time between when they can provide it and, and uh, not? So, you know, I think what we're seeing more and more of is uh, organizations have been caught with that very example, uh, and, and we're being more mm-hmm. proactive now looking at those third parties to make sure that even if contractually or, or um, relationally Wise, we, we haven't bridged that gap, uh, that hopefully there's a, a mitigation strategy in play from, from your organization in terms of what you're going to do. And I guess that takes us back, Alex, to, uh, to your point about, uh, you know, do we have multiple um, vendors perhaps to, to provide the same type of service? And, and I would suggest that that's probably a good, uh, a good alternative. So with regards to contracts then, you know, because you made a good point, you know, a lot of places now are reviewing, you know, uh, the capabilities of their suppliers and vendors and partners, et cetera. If you're seeking a new partnership or a new vendor, would you suggest that disaster recovery, business continuity programs or something be a part of that situation, sorry, negotiation somehow to some level be involved with it? Yeah, I, I definitely. And I would say um, not part of the negotiation, I don't think, but to review some of the, the terms of the contract, um, mm-hmm. a really easy way to to get involved, I think, is to just have a standard um, business continuity clause, if you will, uh, becomes just part of the standard contract that your organization uses, um, having some language in there around uh, you know, maximum tolerable outages or recovery time objectives and, and all those wonderful terms that we like to use. Um, <laughs> but I think really where, uh, you know, resiliency practitioners can, can serve their business as well um, is by uh, challenging the terms of the contract. So looking at the service level agreements and, and then saying, okay, that's great. So on a day-to-day basis, that service level agreement can stand. Uh, but in the event that, uh, you know, said vendor is is faced with a disruption themselves um where does that SLA stand, right? Is it, is it, can they still hold to that? Uh, and if not, uh, what are the repercussions? Uh, and challenging the business to, you know, I guess, A, understand what the, the implications might be, um, and then B, uh, what would the workaround strategies look like? Is this a material vendor? Could we live without them for, uh, you know, longer than what they're stipulating in their SLA, or do we need to hold them to that SLA? Uh, and, mm-hmm. and then what do we need to employ to make sure that we do hold them to the SLA if they are important enough to us? Uh, and I think that's where some of the, the penalties and those types of things may come into play. Uh, so th- th- this is a part, uh, an area of the business that, that I've gotten a little more excited about. It's a little more strategic. Um, and, uh, you know, it really forces us to, to look at the vendor's um, with a little more scrutiny uh, and to be strategic and I, I guess understanding what our mitigation strategies might be if the vendor's not available and they're critical to us uh, and how we can try to um, 
uh, hold the the vendor, I suppose, accountable to um, delivering the product or providing the service uh, within the time frame that we need them to, even if they're faced with mm-hmm. the business uh, disruption themselves, and then taking the steps to actually make sure that they can do that, uh, whether that's through a, a more uh, fulsome risk assessment or you know something like a vendor assessment questionnaire and those types of things to to dive a little bit deeper and understand what the relationship could look like. Well, you made an interesting point there uh, when you were talking about testing, and then you mentioned like a, a BCM type clause uh, in, in a contract. You could um, kind of organize some tests with that vendor based on what they say in their their uh, responses, right? You know, this is what you say you can do. Okay, well, I'm not saying you do 100% test, you know, against something, but kind of model your test just to make sure that what you expect to happen is happening. Absolutely. Uh, and the beauty of it is a lot of these vendors from a supply chain perspective were using them on a regular basis, right? So um, mm-hmm. if the, the service level objective or agreement stipulates X period of time, uh, like from an operation standpoint, even we should be gauging that and, and making sure that they're uh, abiding by what they've committed to. Um, but then from a test perspective, um, you know, it, there's nothing to say that when you do um, – uh, like a business continuity or crisis management type exercise within your organization, if you've got a dependency on that vendor um, to invite them to to be part of that exercise, even if they're you know dialing in or you're you're conferencing them in in, in some way, um, but uh, that'll help you reach that sort of end to end I guess testing that that you had referred to earlier, Alex. Um, they're not always open to it, but uh, you know it's mm-hmm. definitely I think a worthwhile exercise, uh, and it gives them a little bit of perspective in terms of how you would engage them as well. Uh, There's a a bit of a uh, I guess a challenge in terms of uh, you maybe don't want them involved in the whole exercise because you don't want them yeah. hearing you know what your response looks like. But uh, if you can find <laughs> a way to plug them in at an appropriate time, I think there's value in doing so. Yeah, their their role in the whole thing. This is where you guys step in. So you know we want to validate that aspect of it. You know, and you got and it. You made a great you made a great point because you said the the key word dependency. Yeah, quite quite often dependencies end up becoming assumptions, and you know what happens with assumptions. A hundred percent. It's it's funny. The reason I, I don't know if you could hear coming through um, on the line, but uh, I was writing down dependency as as you were talking about it, or as we were we just had talked about it. And the reality is. Um, you know, we might be talking about one particular vendor, and there's a, a primary business objective for partnering with that vendor, um, but there may be four other areas of the business that are dependent on them for some piece of, of work or product uh, as well, uh, and do we understand those uh, as thoroughly as we, we need to? So, you know, I think um, tied to some of this third-party mix really is dependency mapping um, and uh, mm-hmm. really, really understanding not only the external dependencies with these third parties but internally, um, who else is dependent uh, upon them and, and for what? Well, I think dependency mapping gets forgotten sometimes because I also work in project and program management. And believe me, every time you forget a dependency or, or don't identify one correctly, you will end up with a problem somewhere because there's a big risk that hasn't been identified. 
Absolutely. And I think we also maybe from time to time lose sight of, you know, it, we could think of the the relationship with the merchant and the vendor that's manufacturing the product for us as a dependency. Um, but the whole continuum of what that looks like, everybody's dependent on someone, you know, either upstream or downstream. So at the mm-hmm. point when the vendor manufactures that product or, or we're entering negotiations to figure out the best vendor to, to manufacture that for us, um, there's a procurement team there that's looking for the, you know, the, the best vendor based on your criteria or your requirements to do that work. Uh, once it's produced, someone is doing some quality assurance on that. Um, it then has to be shipped, uh, brokered, uh, get into a distribution center, from a distribution center to a store. Once it's in the store, are we marketing it? Is that product going to be in a flyer at a particular point in time? So the, the end-to-end of that whole relationship up and downstream is uh, very, very complex, uh, and I've taken it at a very high level. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, you can imagine dozens and dozens of business processes plugging into that, that overall end-to-end flow. And that's a good spot to end our second uh, segment. We are talking with Tom Shebrick about uh, supply chain management resiliency, and we'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. We're talking with Tom Shebrick today about supply chain management resiliency. Um, Tom, you've given us uh, lots to think about um, in segment one and segment two. Now, let's say we... Don't, we're not as familiar with supply chain management um, that we should be. You know, what are some of the best practices that we can look up and, and f- we should follow? 
Yeah, a great question, Alex. And uh, I'm going to draw back to where we, we ended uh, in the, the last segment um, and some of the dependency uh, considerations. Uh, I would suggest, um, even if it's at a very high level, to get an understanding of the end-to-end process flow uh, within that supply chain network. Um, and so the example that I had run through was really from uh, sort of conception of we want to sell this product to producing it, uh, it being manufactured, uh, and then ultimately it being shipped and then sold in a store. Um, very, very complex. Once you've got that end-to-end process drawn out, uh, I would look at it and tr- work with the, the teams in the, the areas that perform those functions, and, and perhaps it's doing a BIA or a business impact analysis with, uh, with some of those various functions to identify uh, what are the most critical cogs within that wheel. Um, and it gives you a good starting point. So if I, if I was to throw it a number, and, and this is just um, not throwing a dart at the board necessarily, it's, it's more of an educated number, but not you know, a perfect one. Um, in that mix, you're probably going to have 30 to 40 um, processes um, that tie into probably 10 different business units uh, that, that make up that end-to-end uh, flow for the, that one particular product. Um, so obviously not all of them are going to be as critical, um, but it gives mm-hmm. you a good starting point, I guess, if you can identify which ones are the most critical and do some more strategic planning, risk assessments, et cetera, against those. So I think that, that serves as a, a best practice or as a good starting point. Um, if I focus on sort of a, a response to a, a situation or crisis management situation, if you will, um, the one important thing, particularly if it's affecting supply chain, uh, is, is I've learned to let supply chain lead. Um, so I mentioned at the beginning of our, our conversation that um, these guys are great problem solvers. They put out fires on a regular basis as part of their job. Um, they, they, nine times out of ten, know what needs to be done. Um, so, uh, you know, oftentimes my role is uh, helping guide them if we're not quite there. Um, but for the most part, a lot of the time I'm taking their lead um, and then I'm taking their message and sharing with senior leadership so that they know what's going on and we can let those guys continue to work on the the, the problem at hand that they're faced with. Um, so I think letting supply chain lead because they're good at it. Uh, not in all cases, but by and large, my experience has been that they're, they're very good at it. Uh, and then the, the last thing I think is uh, part of our conversation, we started looking outside and we talked about third-party vendors, et cetera. Um, but I think uh, really, really focusing on the internal and doing that end-to-end process mapping is a good start. Uh, and then from there, who are those critical processes dependent on? And then looking externally to those vendors and making sure that we've got a good understanding of the services that they provide to us uh, and determine if we need to do any additional assessment to, against them to, to make sure that that supply chain continuum is, is kept sound and, and solid. You, you mentioned an interesting point, let supply chain lead. Now, and you said, you know, not in all situations. Uh, can, am I assuming correctly if I say that if it's a, uh, like a business as usual incident type thing, like a production type in, incident you know, with, a, with a vendor, not, not you know, the building is on fire? 
Correct. Yeah. So it's interesting, right? And I, I mentioned earlier in touch wood that I'm not jinxing us, but uh, <laughs> uh, we've been very fortunate that we haven't had anything major happen at one of our, our facilities in, in recent memory. Um, so I'm thinking more of some of the, the outward type uh, incidents, the day-to-day stuff. Like if it's if the uh, something's happened somewhere and we're providing community support, for example, uh, they're going to know what to do. They just need to be told what, right? So we'll tell them what product needs right. to get there and, and, and in what location uh, and, and leave them to kind of maneuver and do their, their thing to, to get it there as quickly as possible. Are, are there, so you mentioned the um, understanding the end-to-end process flow and BIA. Would it be um, more than a, a BIA? Because a BIA tell, you know, tells you, you know, desired recovery time objectives and identifies the processes and hopefully identifies dependencies. But would it encapsulate a little bit more uh, internally to figure out what that process flow is? Because sometimes, you know, a user only knows what they receive and who they send it to. And then that's the end of it. Yeah, great question, I I suppose. And I I hadn't given much thought. I was looking at uh, uh, the scenario through my lens and and so the... um, over the number of years, I guess I've been practicing this and, and performing uh, BIAs or, or creating, uh, you know, the sets of questions that we ask in, in those sessions. Uh, we do focus heavily on dependencies. Um, so I, it would be, I guess, an enhanced BIA or a BIA plus. Uh, so great question, mm. Alex. I, you definitely, uh, obviously, want the quantitative stuff, uh, but there's some qualitative pieces as well, and and uh, some contextual things. I think that we need to understand understand in that end-to-end process flow. So I would say it depends on the, the depth and breadth of your, your BIA. Um, and if it's, mm-hmm. if it's not hitting on those connection points appropriately, um, you know, that, that you're exploring those a little more deeply, uh, whether that's through some other form of assessment uh, via, you know, your risk management program and a risk assessment, uh, or uh, understanding that, hey, I've got these two critical processes that are intersecting here. Uh, we need to understand those relationships a little bit better and having additional conversations or, or ways to explore uh, those connection points. Yeah, because those connection points would be the, you know, your, your big risks or where, you know, if anything happens here, look, look what the downstream impact is, you know, which would lead back again to your BIA. But at the same time, you know, a user may not know all of those impacts. You know, they only know what impacts them really, right? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, so... Uh, and the challenge is everyone has a different level of maturity in terms of their their programs and, and how they mm-hmm. execute and, and operate on these things. Um, but even if they are done separately, um, uh, hopefully uh, there's some work being done by your business continuity practitioners to ensure that those dots are connecting at the right place. So if you've got process A, uh, and it's dependent on process B within four hours, but process B's recovery time is 24 hours. Uh, somebody needs to reconcile that that disconnect, and and that could come through uh, from your BIA. But there is some level of analysis that needs to be done to make sure that all of those dependencies, whether they're internal or external, are syncing up and connecting in the appropriate way. That's right. a big watch out. So, with your uh, experience with supply chain management, what are some? Of, what do you think some of the key challenges are? You know, what what have your insights been, you know, working in in supply chain management for such a long time? Yeah, um, it's a great question. I I think there's two, and and they go hand in hand. 
Um, one is volume. Um, so, in volume of relationships, uh, whether that be internal or external. Um, we talk about that end-to-end process flow and, and the amount of connections that go through it. So I, I just think it's uh, size, scope, and breadth is challenging. Um, and, and I think it's um, understanding, I suppose. And we touched on it just a, a minute ago, but the, 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 the connections are happening at the right points at the right time. Um, and understanding the plan B, if that connection you know, isn't being made what the, the alternative solution is. I don't think that there's been enough thought given to some of those um, what-if scenarios uh, in the event of the, that, that continuum and if something fails along the way. But I think we're getting better. I think when I say we, uh, the collective we being you know, resiliency professionals in, in the work that we're doing in that space. So what, knowing that um, you know, your insights here, those, those understanding the, the key points and the volume and the breadth of relationships, are there any key things that you think um, you know, people out there, you know, we need to change what we're doing when, when it comes to supply chain management? You know, anything that, you know, wisdom that you, know, you may have <laughs> uh, to, to just kind of say, you know, we, we really need to start doing more of this. Yeah, I would say um, I'm a firm believer in, in doing, uh, conducting more fulsome risk assessments. Uh, and if that's part of your business continuity program and the BIA work that you're doing to, to make sure that you understand those connection points, great. Um, but if somebody's analyzing, you know, the information that's coming back, uh, and I use the, the example of the, the two dependencies not connecting in terms of their, their tolerable outage timeframes and, and dependency on one another, um, to get those business areas talking and, and working together. So um, that, that's not always easy to do, I guess, and, and making sure that people have the appropriate amount of time is, is always going to be the, the challenge. But I think as, as practitioners that, that we poke at those things and, and make sure that the, the business is understanding them. Um, I think the the implementation of more risk-based, more risk-based mindset is really, really important. I think we have to leverage that a lot more. Um, so if that relationship uh, between those two processes um, is not exactly where we want it to be and it represents a risk, uh, making sure that there's a forum for reporting of that risk uh, and either uh, an avenue to uh, implement some solutions to mitigate it uh, or that mm-hmm. someone is accepting that risk within the organization. Um, so I think that's, that's uh, uh, you know, the more that we incorporate or bring sort of the business continuity and risk management worlds together, um, the better mm-hmm. off we're going to be in. And we've seen that over the, the you know, several years now that, that those two um, uh, portions of the business, I guess, are more integrated and working more and more together. But I, I think uh, uh, the more that we refine and mature those relationships and, and make sure that we're calling out risks appropriately and, and either mitigating them uh, or having some form of risk acceptance taken against them. I agree. I, th- I think uh, the risk management at BCM, you know, need to work closer. I am, I'm completely on side with that. Um, I'm going to ask you, do you have any war stories you can tell with, with regards to supply chain management? And they don't have to be yours if, if you don't want to give anything away. But, you know, any horror stories that, you know, where people didn't consider supply chain management? 
Yeah, absolutely. And this is a, a big, bad, kind of uh, monstrous one. And I, I'd urge anyone that's listening to, to read up on this particular example. It's a really good one. So I'll give you the, the 30,000 foot view of it. But uh, back in the summer of 2015, um, there was a big explosion in the port of Tianjin, China. Um, so there was a, a bunch of chemicals that were being stored at this port. Um, but there's also a whole heap of uh, retail products that were being shipped to uh, a number of retailers across North America. Um, so uh, one of the chemicals they had been storing was ammonium nitrate. Uh, and when uh, uh, these explosions started to occur, uh, everybody was scrambling to try to get an understanding of whether their product was affected. Um, Several, several challenges came out of it. So um, there was product at the port uh, that couldn't be released until there was some sort of detection to determine, you know, what the um, the chemical exposure was, I guess, to the containers. Um, there was a lack of understanding of what might have already been on a ship. Um, on the water, but still at the port, and whether it was released or not, um, what product was on the water and, and bound for the port of Vancouver. Um, and so that was one element of it. So what was where um, after that horrific thing happened? Uh, and that was, uh, you know, it's sort of interesting, I guess, when you think about third parties. Um, the port itself, we wouldn't have considered a, a third party for the organization that I was working for at the time. Um, but the, the broker who manages all of the flow of that product was, um, but they were at the mercy of the port for the information that they were receiving. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, I, I remember one. seeing uh, something on the news. And then the other interesting news. piece was when we got the product finally at the port of Vancouver, um, we didn't know what may have been contaminated versus not. Um, so there was a, a process for holding those containers, testing the product within them, uh, and then, you know, making some decisions on, you know, what was safe and what was not. And um, the great thing was, uh, you know, that uh, anything where we were in doubt, uh, we destroyed. Um, so we did lose quite a bit of product in that process. Uh, and then it became a, a really, really challenging um, insurance conversation uh, to determine, you know, who was responsible um, because we had made good business decisions um, you know, to basically protect the, the public and our customers at the time. Um, and so uh, was that a business decision or was it a result of the explosion uh, and should be reimbursed by insurance? So it's kind of a beefy one, I suppose. We could probably talk a whole hour about just that case study or that example, but uh, uh, it shows some of the complexity when something like that does happen. And certainly happy to take that conversation offline with anybody if they care to reach out. Well, we've got uh, less than two minutes left. Um, do you want to take one minute and give us any final thoughts you have on supply chain? Yeah, I guess uh, um, if I sum all of this stuff up, um, and we covered a lot of ground in, in the time that we had, Alex, I, I think it's really, really important for practitioners, whether it be on the risk side or the business continuity side, to understand, at least at a high level, the end-to-end -end continuum or flow of um, anything within their supply chain, no matter how small or big it is, um, to take uh, steps to understand what's critical um, within that, that, that continuum uh, or that flow, 
and uh, to understand what potential risks are there, what planning needs to be done, uh, and then working with those vendors to make sure, and, and the business, to make sure that contracts are set up appropriately, that the relationships are well understood um, uh, internally and externally, uh, and that you start building plans to support um, not only the individual components of, of that supply chain um, I keep using the word continuum, but I think it makes sense that it, that we focus focus on it that way uh, within that supply chain continuum, um, and then as a collective. So focus on some of the individual pieces, but then as a collective, are all the dependencies mapping up, lining up, etc. Uh, and I think if you start small and and work through, prioritize, uh, hit on the critical stuff, and then uh, make sure that the connections in the appropriate places are being made. It's a good place to start, but the uh, the journey is a long. Great. Well, we have to end there. Thank you, Tom. Uh, I really appreciate your insight on supply chain management. Uh, Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Alex. It's been great. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. And reminder to everybody that I will be in Toronto May 29th and 30th at the Continuity Resilience Today conference, and uh, which Tom spoke at last year. And in the meantime, everyone, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.